Well, good morning. As Pastor Dave said, uh, I am Chaplain John Quay. So uh, I've actually been, uh, well, my family and I are, are, are blessed to have uh, Hillside as our home church. Uh, we've been here uh, since 2018. Uh, I still, some of you may think I'm a, I'm a complete stranger, and, and I feel that way sometimes. Um, be, you know, I'd been gone to Diego Garcia for 14 months, a little island in the Indian Ocean. Just got back from that. And uh, even being back, you know, I just find that I'm, I'm gone a lot. You know, sometimes it's vacation, but other times it's travel for work or uh, helping out at the chapel at the base. Even though I'm with uh, Electronic Attack Wing, which is the Growlers, uh, and, and not at the chapel per se, um, you know, a lot of times they just need help covering there, like on a Sunday. So, in fact, that's where I was at last Sunday, for instance. But um, so I've been a chaplain for 12 years in the Navy. Prior to that, I was a pastor for 18, 11 of that at an EFCA church. So I'm an ordained pastor with the Evangelical Free Church of America and endorsed by them as a chaplain. So uh, it's, it's a blessing, uh, you know, to have an EFCA church close by where I'm at. That's not always the case, and especially Hillside. So we really uh, do consider this to be our, our church family, and uh, we're very blessed. And I'm honored to be able to be here this morning and and just share a few thoughts from God's Word. So um, that said, um, I'm going to just begin with uh, a story that is, uh, I think, going to capture some, a very important point that I want to drive home this morning. So at 7.25 p.m. on Wednesday, March 1st, 1950, the church building of the Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska, exploded due to a natural gas leak. Thankfully, no one was killed or even injured, and that's not all that particularly noteworthy. What is noteworthy is why no one was killed or injured. In the TV show Unsolved Mysteries, Marilyn Paul Mitchell, who's a member of the choir, whose mother was the choir director, said that members were always prompt and ready to sing by 7.25 p.m., but at 7.27 p.m., when the explosion occurred, no one was there. Mother expected all of us to be punctual, Mitchell said. Most often, everyone was there on time. I can't remember a time when anyone came late. Vandegrift and her sister were late because their car had broken down, and her alternate ride was late picking them up. The pastor... His wife and his daughter were late because the daughter's dress was soiled and the wife was ironing another. One choir member was working on an important letter while another choir member and her daughter were late because they had to attend matters at her mother's house before arriving. Another man was late because he was taking care of two sons and did not realize until the last minute that he was late. Mitchell The pianist for the choir had planned to arrive 30 minutes early, but fell asleep after dinner, causing her and her mother to be late. Two high school students who usually rode together to choir practice were late because one had to listen to the end of a radio program. (laughs) And finally, Joyce Black, according to Unsolved Mysteries, waited into the last possible minute before leaving because of cold weather. Black lived across the street from the church. I was just plain lazy, she said. So I kept putting off going out the door. At last, I couldn't put it off any longer. And when I opened the door, our church disintegrated. Some might view this unprecedented tardiness by each choir member 
as just an amazing coincidence. Just, just what luck. But to those with the eyes of faith, God's fingerprints are all over this, isn't it? Or put another way, this unsolved mystery is solved, isn't it? So I'm in the middle of a four-week series in the book of Ruth at the base chapel. And uh, we're going to jump in this morning in, in Ruth 2, but just in a quick way of summary. So the book of Ruth occurs during the time of the judges, which was a pretty dark time for the nation of Israel. Rebellion, uh, breaking their covenant with Yahweh, being punished, sometimes eventually crying out to the Lord and, and being delivered, being rescued, God raising up a judge, if you will. Uh, but eventually, it just kept getting worse. It was a progressive downhill spiral. It was during this setting that the book of Ruth occurred. And we have a family who was living in Bethlehem, and there was famine that had happened during the time of Ruth. It's pretty obvious that it was, it was God's judgment upon them because of their, their sin and rebellion and breaking of the covenant. And here we have a family, Elimelech, um, a wife, Naomi, two sons, and, and they chose to leave the promised land and go to Moab. And we may think, well, what's the big deal? There's famine, go somewhere, there's food, right? Today, you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, we could equally easily serve Christ in Washington State or, or Nebraska or the Philippines or somewhere else, right, or, or Tanzania, right? But that wasn't the case during this time, right? Leaving the promised land was a clear, serious lack of, of faith, and of all places to go, Moab was not the place to go. Known for, you know, gross idolatry and immorality and, and other things, and none of them positive, right? So this family left. And during their time there, uh, Elimelech dies. The, the, the sons had taken foreign wives, Moabite wives. They both die. And then Ruth gets word that um, there's food again. The famine's over, and she decides that she's going to return back to, to Bethlehem. So that brings us to Ruth chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now, Naomi, and I should also mention that um, Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, also decided to go back with Naomi. And uh, she decided that she was going to make Naomi's home hers, and, and Naomi is God, her God, right? Pretty important point. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the grain left over behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. 
So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So here we have a situation where we are told that um, Ruth just happened to show up in the field that belonged to Boaz, right? A chance encounter that, as we all know, wasn't at all by chance, right? I mean, this is clearly God's direction, you know, behind the scenes, working, orchestrating the events in, in such a way that she just happened to show up in that field, and Boaz just happened to show up (laughs) while she was there, right? And one of the things that we're going to realize, or I want to focus on this morning as we give thought to this notion of of God's providence, his providential care and control and, and, and provision for his people, is that generally speaking, this is not something that outwardly seems miraculous, Right? I mean, just think about the events at um, Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. You know, not one of these people said, 
oh, yeah, well, I looked up and there was writing on the, in, the, in, the, in the sky that said, you know, don't show up for choir tonight, right? No angel appeared to them and said, whoa, whoa, stop, you know, stay put, don't, don't go there, right? It was all seemingly ordinary events that are very explainable until you look at the fact that they all happened together <laughs> the same evening when, you know, no one is ever late and now every one of them is late, right? And that's often the way that God works in our lives. Oftentimes, sadly, we're, we're unaware of it. Uh, we don't take notice of it. But the truth of the matter is that God is always at work in and through in ways that we oftentimes aren't even aware of. So when I talk about God's providence, when we talk about God's providence in general, uh, we're referring to his sovereign, unceasing activity of superintending the universe that he created. The Lord sustains the physical world. He, he guides and governs all events and circumstances and acts, acts of angels. He everything towards its appointed goal for his glory. Looking at various passages of scripture and just to kind of summarize and, and give sort of a, a snapshot if you will, scripture that God rules all natural animals, all the happenings in the world, great and small, from thunderstorms and plagues to the death of a sparrow or the fall of a lot. Physical life in men and animals is his to give and his to take away. And so are health and sickness, prosperity and adversity. And this is certainly not an exhaustive list and I haven't even touched on the most important and central part of God's providence. For since the fall of humankind, God's been executing a plan of redemption that pivots upon Christ's first coming and culminates in his return. With the goal of creating a worldwide church, a major theme in scripture is, is the kingdom of God and and God's kingship and, and setting this up and, and operating. No, no foe can thwart him, we read. He laughs at opposition to his plans, and he uses even opposition to his own ends. The climax of history will be the overthrow of those who fight against God and his kingdom, as the book of Revelation makes very clear. So what I'd like to do is jump in to some very practical applications of this. We can go, okay, that's great. So God's sovereign and in control. We understand there, there's a providence. Okay, what does that mean to me? Well, first, trusting God's providential protection and provision coupled with you know, trust or, or, or confidence in the fact that he's all-knowing and wise and that he is, he's all good and loving those coupled with the, the reality that, that God is also all-powerful and in control of this world should, be able to, should free us from worry and anxiety about what the future may or may not hold. It should free us from the fears that would hold us back from doing things like sharing our faith or, or giving to the work of the gospel, or caring for the poor and needy. I mean, we, we see one illustration of this uh, you know, right here in the book of Ruth. Here was a couple that came back to Bethlehem and, 
And even then, their prospects didn't look all that great. This, is, this was not a time where there was a welfare system or social security. If you were without a husband and you, you didn't own any land, you know, there wasn't, you likely had a pretty hard existence. And yet, first time out, Ruth just happens to be in the field <laughs> with a close relative who, who was a godly and caring and loving person that the Lord used to provide for her over and above. And we're going to see that this is just the beginning. I could share, you know, most of us could probably share many examples from our own lives. I'll share just one. Uh, I was in the Air Force for 12 years. My wife, Josie, was a school teacher in California. And when we felt the calling to get out and for me to go to school and be a pastor, um, you know, she left her career. I left my career in the Air Force. We had a little bit of savings. And, um, but we were, you know, trusting God to do that. And, uh, but also at that same time, we felt Lord calling us to have children. And uh, so we, we, we prayed about it. We talked to each other and we were pretty tight, and um, we thought, well, we're, we're convinced God's going to do this. He's going to provide. We're not really sure. Um, and so, incidentally, our oldest daughter, Bethany, is here. She's out visiting. She's a nurse, an RN, out in uh, Norfolk area in Virginia. So um, even before Bethany was born, uh, the Lord provided in miraculous ways, I would say. I mean, none of it was like, you know, here's an angel showing up at our doorstep, right? Um, but Two of the people that, that my wife worked with decided they weren't having any kids, gave her all the maternity clothes. One gave us everything you could ever want for a baby. I filled up my pickup truck bed with stuff, <laughs> everything that you could need. I, I think, you know, we ended up having about seven different baby showers, if you count our church and Bible study and the college and families and, and everything like that. And we didn't have to buy a thing for her for the first year. I mean, just the Lord provided. And... And has done so throughout in, in, in many ways. Just I could just go through the, the years as a pastor, uh, you know, when we were, uh, we were very tight. And just the Lord always, always provided for our needs. And we were always freed us to continue to, to give and to serve and, um, you know, without fear, without any anxiety that, you know, we were going to go without. Second, trust in God's providential care and protection frees us from other kinds of worry, like the fear of death or disease or, or disability. Um, I'm going to share just one example. Uh, uh, I, I, just, uh, I remember watching it as a documentary. I, th- I found it very powerful. Um, it's a little bit more exceptional, if you will, maybe a little more miraculous uh, than, than some of the ones that you know, we've just talked about. But um, there was a documentary I watched on the Battle of Hawija. And uh, essentially to protect the new Iraqi police, on August 7th of, of 2004, a 30-man army platoon entered the town square of Hawija. And unknowingly, they were, they were entering the kill zone and ambushed by 100-plus heavily armed insurgents. Greatly outnumbered, um, bullets, RPGs all around them. And I just remember a few scenes that I just looked at. And even, I'm going to interject, that even when they interviewed some of the people, you know, the actual people that were there, even though they, uh, 
they weren't believers, right? These were like agnostics. Um, none of them could deny that there was something supernatural happening here, right? So in, in the one scene, uh, about four or five of the soldiers were uh, just ambushed, and they had nothing to protect them. So they, they, they grabbed a piece of cardboard. They thought, well, at least it'll hide our silhouette. They're not going to know where we're at. It's certainly not going to stop a bullet. But, uh, you know, trying to recreate the scene of what happened, you know, based on their testimony. This, this piece of cardboard was totally riddled with bullets. I mean, it made Swiss cheese seem really intact. And uh, you're wondering, like, this is impossible. How is it that not one of them was even scratched? And then in another scene, there was a, a, a group of them that were cornered in an alley, and it had buildings on three sides. And some insurgents saw them and, and fired an RPG, and they, and they were to a person, they were like, we're dead. I mean, there's just no way that a person could survive this. The RPG <laughs> hit an electrical cable that was stretched across the alley and exploded in midair, <laughs> and they were able to to take off and get out of there. I mean, these are things that you just look at and you're like, like there's just no other explanation, right? Third, trust in the Almighty's providence keeps us from becoming despondent or despairing. And it brings us courage and hope during trials. So, um, as I was getting ready to come into the Navy, I had already, uh, you know, worked with the church that I was at, the Free Church, and uh, had trained up the, some younger staff members to take my place, and I had a date, you know, that I was going to leave and resign, and then I was going to, you know, join the Navy and go to officer development school and on to chaplain school. And a couple of weeks before that, uh, I tore my right knee and uh, talked to a surgeon. He said, well, we can get it fixed pretty quick. You know, you'll be able to walk, maybe do some light running in, in a couple weeks. And I knew I couldn't just show up, so I, I knew I had to call the, the chaplain, the, the officer development school, and, and let them know what was going on. And uh, I did. And they're like, yeah, thanks for letting us know. There's, there's no way you can come. And uh, I said, yeah, I understand that. I, I, you know, it makes sense. you mind if I share with you a little bit about my situation? And, and the situation was pretty much this, that... You know, we were going to be leaving the church in, in a couple weeks. Candidating is usually a pretty long process. It might be a year, right? And um, we had no savings. I would say that the money that we had in our checking account, we could have spent at McDonald's easily that day. Um, you know, four kids, we were homeschooling. And uh, so I just explained it to them. And they're like, okay, well, someone will call you back. And and I have to admit, you know, when this first happened, I started feeling a little bit of anxiety, and I thought, wow, God, why is this happening, you know? Why now? You know, I thought you were calling me to be a Navy chaplain, and I thought through what I really believe, what I'm really convinced of about God, you know, that he is all-knowing and wise and, and good and loving and sovereign in control. And I thought about, are there promises? Are there things that I can can hang my hat on and be confident of? And and I was convinced that there was, that God hadn't abandoned us, that he was going to provide. I didn't know how. I was also convinced that even though I, I felt very strongly that he was calling me to be a Navy chaplain, maybe I was wrong. And um, we thought, you know what, maybe he's got a different plan. And we thought maybe, you know, we might have to sell our house and our car and most everything we have. We might be living with family for a long period of time. But that's what God's will is. That's what God's will is. 
And it, would, it totally freed us of any, any anxiety, any, any worry, any fear. We were like, okay, whatever God's got. But we, we prayed about it, and we got a call back from a Navy commander, and he's like, yeah, you can't come. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sir, I understand. Uh, can I share with you a little bit about my background, though? And he goes, okay. So I shared it with him. He's like, okay, I'll call you back. <laughs> so a couple days later, he calls me back. He goes, you know, we've never done this before, but we're going to bring you in on limited duty and I'm like, oh, okay. And so here we are. Not only did, did God provide, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't worry. We didn't have to worry because we were confident, you know, that, that God was in control. This wasn't something that, you know, caught the Lord off guard or, you know, was outside of his control. And as I'm going to touch on it a little bit more, all of this was part of a larger plan that he had that I was still not aware of at the time. And so an important passage that we need to understand and be clear of is one I, that I realize sometimes is used maybe out of context, maybe sometimes at the wrong times, but it's still an important truth for us. And that's, that's Romans 8.28. Most of us are, are familiar with it, right? That we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So in other words, for, for believers, for followers of Jesus... God is at work for our good in all things, things that seem good, things that don't seem good, <laughs> trials, difficulties, even through the malicious acts and ignorant acts of other people. God is, is at work. Now, of course, the issue is, is what God considers to be our greatest good, what we consider to be our greatest good, right? You know, I'm going to tattle on my kids, but like when they were, you know, little, um, you know, there were times that we would do like abominable things, right? Like atrocious things, evil things, right? Like we would make them eat vegetables, do homework. We would try to stop them from like scratching each other and pulling each other's hair out. And it was just monstrous, right? I mean, they, they were probably sure we hated them, right? And I kind of joke about it, but we can be the same way, right? God may have plans for us, and, and we aren't looking at it necessarily through an eternal perspective for his glory, for our greatest good, for the, for the good of the church. I'll be the first one to admit, I, I like ease and comfort and pleasure. And sometimes we look at it only through that lens, right? But, but the greatest good, if we look at the next passage, Romans eight twenty nine, is that we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's God's goal. Even the works of Satan and the evil deeds of humankind, of humanity, do not escape God's superintending. He can allow it. He can stop it. He can direct it or redirect it, as he did even at the cross. I mean, this is probably the classic example of it, isn't it? We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Listen closely to verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Did you catch that? These are wicked people who are doing things with wicked motives. <laughs> and, and they're going to be held accountable one day for what they did both the religious leaders who, who 
you know, wanted Jesus executed because he was a threat to them and falsely accused of being a blasphemer and, and, the, and the secular leaders who also had their own horrible motives for executing an innocent person. And yet, none of this was plan B, was it? None of this happened by chance. This was God's plan from the beginning of the world. This was the reason why Jesus came, right? He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for the many. And through the malicious acts of human beings, God accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish when he wanted to accomplish it. And he does the same thing today. So confidence in in God's providential care and provision also inspires our prayers for help. You know, and it can be something, uh, you know, simple and, and, and seemingly trivial to something extraordinary. I think of, uh, you know, when I was at uh, that free church in, in New Jersey, there was a woman who uh, was a photographer, and she shared a story about how she had lost some negatives of a photo shoot. And, you know, she was living fairly tight. She was a single mom, and, uh, you know, she stood to make, you know, a, a good amount of money on a photo package, but she had lost the negatives, and uh, she couldn't find them, and she looked everywhere. She said, I, so I just stopped, and I prayed. And she said the thought came into her mind, look in the recycle bin. And there they were. Like, that's the first place you would look, a recycle bin. Like, why would they be there? And we've probably all done that, right? How many times, I can't tell you how many times that I've lost my keys or something. And it's like, I look everywhere, and I can't. And I think, oh, wait, stop. Let's just pray about it. And then, bing, why don't you look here, <laughs> Right? God does those kind of things. Or right up to that whole point about what I shared with Officer Development School, right? Praying, you know, that, that, that God would provide, and if that was his will, that he would open up the door. And lo and behold, um, at least what I was told was, it was, a, it was a first-time exception that they made, and here I am. Fifth, understanding and trust in God's providence opens up our eyes to see our circumstances, and chance events and meetings differently than the world does. We, we begin seeing them as divine appointments. So the fuller story here was that even though I, I tore my knee and I was able to continue on, uh, the same thing happened again to my left knee. <laughs> I tore that one at, at officer development school and uh, trying to protect the right one. And uh, they said the same thing at chaplain school. You can't come. Okay, but can I share with what's going on? <sighs> okay. Anyway, I ended up going, and I ended up having surgery while I was there. And I had orders to be with the, uh, the Marine Corps, 2nd Marine Division. I was going to deploy to Afghanistan in March of 2011, which is what I wanted. That was, you know, one of the reasons why I went in uh, to, to serve them. And, uh, but God had different plans. They said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that. We, we know you. You're not going to take it easy, your knee's going to get worse, it's not going to get better. And uh, lo and behold, there was a, what they call a hot fill, a huge need at, at Charleston. I had never even heard of Charleston, South Carolina, nor did I really want to go there. And uh, so it was a little bit of a disappointment. But I, I get there, and um, it, was, it just became evident in a very short amount of time that this was God's plan all along. I had been Air Force for 12 years, 
Uh, that was a joint base Air Force had just taken over. The Navy saw it like a hostile corporate takeover. Sort of that's how they were treating it. Um, there was some serious problems at the chapel. Um, a lot of conflict and, and, and problems within the leadership. Uh, there was an enormous need among the new school students, a, a lot of anxiety and depression and thoughts of suicide. And uh, what I didn't share was that uh, about a year before I was going to go in, I tore my, uh, well, a little bit before that, I tore my right shoulder, so I had all these surgeries. And uh, that, that held up me going in the, in the uh, Navy for a little bit, right? And uh, during that time, I'd already started, you know, I'd finished training and turning over some stuff to the younger staff, so I was preaching less, doing a lot more counseling. And the Lord ended up using that to prepare me to do the types of counseling that I would do uh, at Charleston, right, with these new school students, and then later on also. But uh, the fact that I had the Air Force background, I ended up having sort of a respect and in a relationship with both sides because I was Navy, but I had prior Air Force. The Lord was able to use that to kind of as a bridge to bring some unity between the two, um, you know, pastoring for 18 years and then dealing with uh, conflict and, and uh, helping, you know, guiding people through that. Uh, the Lord was able to use that as the chapel. The point was that I, I, I pretty quickly looked and I went like, this can't be an accident, right? The Lord was guiding all of these events, including two knee surgeries and a shoulder surgery, and uh, which I take credit for, right? I was the idiot that, that hurt myself. But even through all that, God was orchestrating things and, and, and to, to take me exactly where he wanted me to be for his glory and, and for the good of, of those people uh, that he wanted, you know, ministry to while I was there. You just, you can't make this up. And so, you know, the, I think it's important for us to to be able to to look at that and to recognize what, what God is doing. I, I realize it's easier after the fact, right? And and that's that's a fact. But I think it's having the confidence when we're in it to know that he's doing it, even if we can't see where it's going to go. Look, I'll be the first to admit that my life rarely turns out the way I would script it. I can pray, you know, and, 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 and even have this sense of what God's calling me to do and where, and yet that isn't usually the way it works out, right? But looking back, I'm, I can always see where, where God was at work, and I'm very confident that, you know, God's ways are best. I've just seen it, right? So that's where some people even talk now. It's like, so what are you going to do when you retire from the Navy? I'm like, serve Jesus, where? Like, I don't know. When he lets me know, I'll let you know, right? Because I'm, I'm just even giving up trying. <laughs> He's just, that's just the way it is. Um, sixth, the truth of God's providence takes the chance out of chance for God's people. It shows astrology and other forms of divination to be false, foolish, full. And it means that we're going to ascribe seemingly chance events to God's providence, not to luck, which denies, which denies God's providential care and control. Look, I know that we, we talk about it, we use it a lot, we live in a world, we don't even give it a second thought, right? Well, I was lucky. Um, you know, I would just challenge you to kind of think through that. Because what if it's not that? What if this isn't chance? What if... 
What if this is God's work in doing that? I mean, I, I certainly don't want to ascribe something to, to random chance or, or, or quote to luck that is God's doing, you know. Um, And for that matter, I would say the same thing about superstition, right? I realize it's sanitized in our country, but, but if, you, if you stop and think back, uh, where does superstition come from, right? It's from this, from animism, right? Animism, like this notion that there are these spirits that live in rocks and trees and hills and different things. And if you do something, you might do something that anger them and they're going to bring hardship upon you, right? Or you may do something that please them and... and they're going to help you out a bit. Things will go well, right? And so we may not look at that, but, you know, do we still, you know, throw salt over our shoulder? Do we still worry about breaking a mirror or walking under a ladder or doing any number of things, right? And I would just say that, you know, if we believe that God is sovereign and in control of this world, then that stuff is like nonsense, right? I'm just calling it the way it is. And so, you know, the issue then isn't, you know, throwing salt over my shoulder or, or doing something like that, but it's praying to the all-knowing and loving and sovereign God of the world and entrusting my life and my future and my family to him. The chance happening that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, of course, was not luck. It wasn't chance, um, but it was rather by God's design and working. It was part of God's plan to graciously provide for Ruth and Naomi. And his provision, uh, if you read on through the remaining chapters of Ruth, uh, is going to go beyond the idea of just providing food alone. Because as important as food is uh, to them and to us, it it wasn't their greatest need and it isn't our greatest need, right? Uh, Her greatest need and our greatest need is... Is, is redemption. It's to have a savior. And, uh, and by God's grace and in his providence, he's at work doing that, right? And, uh, you know, we talked already about the cross, right? That even through the malicious actions of, of wicked people, you know, God did that. And, and, and thankfully, you know, God is gracious and kind. And, and you know, we, we see also in Romans that, you know, this isn't something that Jesus did because we are all good and, and we're such great people and why wouldn't he die for us? But really, you know, what it says is just the opposite, isn't it? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in spite of the fact that we were rebels and hard-hearted and rebellious and rejecting God's rightful rule in our life, Jesus died that when we put our faith in him and we turn to him in faith and entrust our lives to him, yield them to him, that we join into a union, a relationship with him, whereby we share in that, that death and, and a death to sin and, and, and a forgiveness and are reconciled to God and are, are delivered from that, that grip, that dominating power and grip that sin has over us, that we can serve and and follow Jesus
and even desire to do that very thing <laughs> because he's reached out and, and opened blind eyes and, and softened hard hearts. That's the centerpiece of, of what God is doing in humanity redemptively. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are just grateful that you indeed are in control of this world that you created. And not just that, but that you're a God who is, is all-knowing and, and good and, and loving. We recognize that oftentimes there's things that, all the time there's things that happen in and through and around us that we don't take notice of, much less give you credit for. We, we pray that you'd forgive us for that. We pray that our eyes would be more open to seeing your work in and around and, and through us. That our, our faith and, and confidence in this would be, be strengthened. That we would be people who are free of, of fear and worry. Confident that you're at work to achieve your good, pleasing and perfect will in our lives. Help us to look at things through eternal eyes, an eternal perspective, not just through eyes of, of ease and, and comfort and pleasure. May it be more and more that what Jesus desires for us is that what we too also desire. Do this, we pray, for your glory and our good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.